Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The news continues right now. Let's hand it over to Wolf Blitzer and CNN Tonight. Wolf. Anderson, thank you very much. And we want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer, and this is CNN Tonight. We're watching history unfold before our eyes. The largest invasion in Europe uh, since World War II is now around 24 hours in. President Zelensky says at least, get this, at least 137 Ukrainian soldiers already have been killed so far, another 316 wounded. He says he suspects Russian sabotage groups have already infiltrated the capital of Kiev and have marked him as their target number one. President Zelensky has ordered a general military mobilization, and he's banning all male citizens ages 18 to 60 from leaving the country. It was this very hour last night when Russia started its full-scale invasion of the sovereign nation, bombarding cities with missiles and long-range artillery, targeting military installations and airports like this one in southeastern Ukraine. Russian uh, ground forces invaded the country from three sides, from the north, south, and east. Among the targets seized today, the Chernobyl power plant in northern Ukraine, the site of the world's worst nuclear disaster. Seen as Matthew Chance had an up-close encounter with some Russian forces at an airport about 50 miles from the capital of Kyiv. These troops you can see over here, they are Russian airborne forces. They have taken this airport. You can tell they're Russian. I've spoken to them already. You can tell they're Russian. They've got that orange and black band to identify them as Russian forces. I've spoken to the commander on the ground there within the past few minutes, and he said they are now in control. Ukrainians are now living in a very, very different nation than only one night ago. Some subway stations have become makeshift bomb shelters in Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city. Many citizens don't know what to do or where to go or how this is going to end, uh, as they told CNN's Clarissa Ward. So what can the world do to stop Vladimir Putin? President Biden assures this. Putin is now a pariah on the international stage, he says, and Russia will pay a very heavy price. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. America stands up to bullies. We stand up for freedom. This is who we are. Make no mistake. Freedom will prevail. President Biden announced a new series of strong, very strong sanctions that you're about to hear more about uh, from the White House. He's also sending some 7,000 more U.S. troops from the United States to Europe to help bolster NATO's defenses. Biden says NATO is now more united than it's ever been, 
And when this dark period is looked back uh, on in history, he says Russia will be left weaker and the rest of the world stronger. But there's so much suffering right now and the future of Ukraine is very much uncertain. So let's keep focused on that and get the very latest from the front lines, also from Moscow and from the White House. Let's begin with CNN's Clarissa Ward. She's joining us from Kharkiv in Ukraine right now. Clarissa, what, first of all, what more can you tell us about this very dire message from the Ukrainian President Zelensky tonight? Well, that's right, Wolf. He said he is target number one. His family is target number two. But he also said that he is not going anywhere, that he intends to stay in the capital city of Kiev for the moment. One can only imagine how difficult a position that will be to maintain as we continue to see Russian forces continuing with this assault. Here in the city of Kharkiv, Wolf, you could see it's a very different scene than it was last night. Last night, this is the big middle of the town square behind me. It was all lit up. It was tense and it was quiet, but nothing like uh, it is today because we're just over 20 miles away from that Russian border where there's been that huge buildup of artillery, armory, uh, also personnel. They have been coming across the border, engaging and fighting with the Ukrainian army. And the people here now are basically waiting to see at what point they potentially arrive at this city. And nobody knows what will they do if they do arrive at this city. Will they surround it? Will they try to lay siege to it? Will they potentially enter it? Uh, We've heard from the mayor that there's a a curfew in place from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. They've also been asking people, Wolf, to donate blood, uh, obviously in, you know, foreseeing the potential worst situation. 400 people came out today reportedly and waited in long lines to go ahead and donate blood. The city is so quiet right now. And it's deeply eerie because people just have, as you said before, no sense of what's to come and where to go. The thing that was so striking walking around these streets earlier on today, mostly deserted, but a few people sort of wandering around with suitcases or bags of groceries. And you almost had the sense, Wolf, that they didn't really know where to go. They didn't really know where is safe. I asked one woman, do you have a car? Is there somewhere you can go to? And she said, I have a car, but where is safe in Ukraine anymore? And that's something that really stuck with me, Wolf, because I think it speaks not just to the fear and the anxiety, but the confusion here about what is actually happening, Wolf. Reporting today, uh, Clarissa, from inside a subway turned bomb shelter where citizens uh, were sheltering from the attacks. What did they have to say? You know, Wolf, these scenes to me were were like scenes that I've seen uh, of of World War II and the Blitz and people hunkering down underground for hours on end, uh, trying to keep their families safe. There were so many families down there, so many children, babies. People brought their pets there, their parents, uh, just desperately trying to escape the strikes that had been falling down. Some people were angry. Many of them were sad. But mostly, honestly, Wolf, they were just scared. Take a listen. We never really believed that our, like, neighbor can, can just come and just grab our land and tell us what to do. And uh, we are independent country, Ukraine, and we are totally not same as Russians. And we don't want to be a part of Russia or any other country. It's really getting emotional. 
And you see, Wolf, it's, you know, people are overcome, honestly. It's so much stress, and so few people here ever imagined that this was actually going to happen. We've been talking about it for weeks, if not months, but for Ukrainians, there really was a state of disbelief. They couldn't imagine that Russia could do this. Another man I spoke to, Vladimir, said, Russia is our brother, but what kind of a brother treats his brother? in such a way as this. And some of those people are still sleeping in that shelter tonight, Wolf, waiting to see what tomorrow will bring. Yeah, from President Zelensky on down, people of Ukraine didn't want to believe that Russia is capable, Putin is capable of ordering this kind of invasion. Uh, Clarissa, stay safe over there. Clarissa Ward at Kharkiv. I appreciate it very, very much. We're going to stay connected with you, get back to you as soon as there are some more developments, and I suspect there will be. Uh, let's turn right now to CNN's Nick Robertson. He's joining us live from Moscow. So, Nick, what, what's been the reaction there in Moscow to Putin launching this totally unprovoked war? Yeah, there were protests uh, later in the day, not just here in Moscow, but in more than 50 cities across Russia. And we went down and witnessed some of those protests. More than 900 people arrested by riot-clad police at the protest. The government said these protests weren't allowed, that there was no authorization for them. Indeed, the government went beyond that. It warned people that if you come to the protest, you could get arrested. And if you get arrested, um, then you could end up with a criminal record. And if you have a criminal record, then that's going to blight your future job prospects, your work prospects. So it was a really harsh message from the government. And it seems very clear from what we saw that President Putin is not brooking any dissent from people who disapprove of him going to war in Ukraine. Um, and I spoke to some of those people who were down there uh, and they, they were desperate. They were frustrated with their government. They were angry with their government. They didn't know what to do. They didn't expect the country to go to war. They don't want it to go to war. They don't want to be at war with people in Ukraine who they feel are their brothers and sisters. Uh, one young lady told me she was close to tears. She said, I, I want to leave. And I said, you want to leave Russia? She said, yes. Um, she said, it, it, it's my country. I'm heartbroken, but I just don't support this leadership. I have to say, Wolf, despite the fact that there were so many people arrested, uh, there's still a large percentage of the population here, 50% or more, maybe, that, that actually support President Putin and support what he's doing in Ukraine. But uh, have it again, this number of people getting out on the streets tonight at short notice, knowing that they could be arrested, that's still quite a uh, you know, relatively large number for, for Moscow and the rest of the country. That's quite a statement indeed from these, uh, these folks over there in Russia. Uh, President Biden, as you know, Nick, uh, announced more sanctions today against Russia, says Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. Uh, does that resonate, those kinds of words, where you are in Moscow? You know, he met with members of his business community today. So we can read into that, you know, oligarchs included, uh, potentially some of those who are being targeted with sanctions themselves. And his message to them was, look, we knew this was coming. There's going to be some economic hardships, but you, we need to stick together and remain united on this. That is, you need to be patriotic. We're all going to suffer. And it seems that, you know, that's the message from the top down. This is the war that he's chosen. Uh, and it does seem that a lot of his security officials were not really um, 
were not really listened to uh, in his calculations here. Uh, and it doesn't seem that he's going to put up with much dissent from the business community. And, and he, as he said today, there's, you know, Russia, uh, the, a new Iron T Curtain cannot be put up and to keep Russia behind it. And what he means by this is, you know, the sanctions are going to come, but we will continue to survive. Wolf? Nick Robertson in Moscow for us. Uh, we will, of course, stay in touch with you as well. Uh, right now, I want to go to the White House. Our White House correspondent, MJ Lee, is on the scene for us. Uh, MJ, the president, President Biden, announced uh, this raft of sanctions today against Putin and, the, and Russia. But the White House had to clarify some of his remarks. Tell us about that. That's right. The remarks that uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tried to clarify uh, was when President Biden said during his remarks that nobody uh, really expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. Uh, those comments when they were said uh, were a little bit puzzling, given the fact that this is a White House that has said for so long that the threat of sanctions uh, they hoped would serve as a deterrent. Uh, this is the reason actually why we didn't see sanctions until uh, this week because the White House had said all along, uh, we are going to wait until Russia actually invades Ukraine uh, and then we are going to roll out our whole uh, slate of sanctions. The hope, again, was that the threat of sanctions would serve as a deterrent. Uh, so when Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, was asked to clarify this uh, at the White House press briefing, uh, she essentially sort of drew a distinction between sanctions as a deterrent and sanctions uh, as after they have already been rolled out. She said, uh, of course, sanctions could have a deterrent effect after they have been issued. So that is certainly the hope. And this is what uh, U.S. administration officials are talking about now, that the sanctions that have been imposed so far uh, could hopefully play some role in uh, scaling down whatever Putin's ambitions might be in terms of a military invasion. Uh, but of course, the timing is an important piece of this too, Wolf, because as President Biden said himself, he said uh, these sanctions are going to take some time to go into effect. And uh, one of his advisors saying today that that really is up to Putin, uh, that he is going to have to determine how much sort of economic suffering he is going to be willing to accept in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, it will take some time to implement these sanctions, but they are tough indeed. MJ Lee at the White House, thank you very much. We're going to continue, of course, checking in on all of our correspondents uh, on the ground in Ukraine and Russia and elsewhere throughout this hour. President Biden says, make no mistake, freedom will prevail. But how would Vladimir Putin be stopped? And what role will U.S. troops be playing with NATO states as more prepared to head overseas? I'll ask the former U.S. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel. There you see him. We'll discuss when we come back. Part of the Russian plan has been to uh, put, uh, put Kiev in danger, uh, to, uh, to assault the capital, to go after other major cities. We're seeing forces come in from the north, uh, from the east, from the south, and that's all part of the plan that we've laid out for the world in recent weeks. You're convinced Putin's going to overthrow this government? I'm convinced he's going to try to do that. That's the latest uh, rather grim assessment from Secretary of State Antony Blinken as Russia continues its multi-pronged assault on Ukraine. The U.S. in turn isn't just responding with sanctions, but adding additional military moves as well, deploying another 7,000 U.S. troops from the United States to Europe. 
Let's get some perspective from the former U.S. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel, who oversaw the Defense Department when Russia invaded Ukraine back in 2014, took over Crimea. Uh, Secretary Hagel, thanks so much for joining us. Just a few days ago, you expressed hope for a diplomatic off-ramp, and yet here we are now, Ukraine in the middle of a full-scale Russian invasion. What do you make of this moment? Well, when we look back over the last two weeks and what the president has said, Secretaries Blinken in Austin, what our intelligence has shown us, that uh, it was pretty clear where he was going. I, I think a number of us, including the president, Secretary Blinken, uh, had hoped that there could be some off-ramping at the last minute to avert this disaster, uh, but it was not to be. Uh, so Mr. Putin has started something that he can't control. And every time that you start a war, you start an invasion, you start any type of military incursion, you lose control of it and everything becomes hair triggered. It's like handling nitroglycerin. And that's particularly dangerous here because there are so many uncontrollables. Uh, NATO countries on the eastern border uh, of, the, of Europe that were formerly in the, behind the Iron Curtain of the Soviet Union. You've got, you've got issues, economic issues, you've got trade issues, you've got energy issues. The world is interconnected now. So nobody is going to get out of this without, without some difficulty. And the economy is going to be a big part of this, uh, Wolf. Certainly is. Uh, and as you heard, Secretary Blinken says uh, he's convinced Moscow is going to try to actually overthrow the Ukrainian uh, government. President Zelensky says... He's target number one. Uh, his family is target number two. Do you believe Putin's endgame is a full takeover of Ukraine? I do believe that's his endgame. Uh, now that he started this, um, that, that would require uh, his taking Kiev, installing his own government, uh, governments uh, that was supportive of Russia, uh, a puppet government, uh, that means there's going to be an awful lot of bloodshed uh, for the Ukrainians, but there will be bloodshed for the Russians. There are going to be a lot of dead Russians sent back home. And Mr. Putin's going to have to deal with that as, as well as all the other economic consequences. And the, the fact that he, he will be and is a pariah, international pariah. This is, is as all of your correspondents have said, and if you've said, uh, Wolf, this is the first time since World War II that one independent nation has invaded another independent nation. So we are at a very defining time in history. And I, I think that's going to come home to more and more people in understanding why we're involved. What's the big problem? What's the big deal? You know, you know, I was born in 1946, a year after my dad came home from overseas in World War II. Everybody who was born since, the world, since World War II has lived in a world where the United States has been the dominant factor in everything, economics, security. The last 20 years, that's started to change. That doesn't mean that's bad. In fact, that's good. That's the world order that we had built and we had hoped for, Com common interests. Let everybody rise. But we've seen things over the last 20 years that have, have led us to this moment. And finally, you have a, a leader in Putin who is a KGB, shape, molded, thought-provoking leader that is specializes in disinformation, misinformation, lies, that thinks that this is the time that he can strike. I, I think it's a gross miscalculation, and I think there's going to be an awful lot of suffering. 
Uh, but in the end, I think it's uncertain where we go. But I, I do believe what President Biden said today. Uh, this will this will end not well for Russia and Mr. Mr. Putin. You think Putin is a war criminal? Yes. How can I, Should how he can be I tried I as a war criminal? I think he should. Uh, I think he should. We have uh, been, the West, very lenient over the years. And uh, again, when I say this is a defo- defining moment, a defining time in history, in world history, this will be one of the questions that, that will be, have to be resolved uh, when this is over. However, it comes to an end. It will come to an end. President Zelensky said uh, tonight, uh, so far, it's only been one day, 137 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed since the invasion began. How much longer do you think Ukraine can keep up this fight? They obviously don't have the capability to defeat a a superpower like Russia. Well, I I think they'll be able to uh, put up a good fight for a while. They have an army today that they didn't have in 2014 for much more sophisticated, much more advanced, much more capable. But the overpowering weaponry and military and cyber uh, capacity that Russia has will overwhelm them, I'm afraid, uh, unless something stops that, unless something intervenes, uh, that that could happen. But eventually, if this thing is is moving more and more toward the military decision of how it ends, then the Ukrainians will not be able to sustain it. And I think that I think that Mr. Putin wants more than just Kyiv and Ukraine. As he said in his demands of NATO, all those countries, Bulgaria, Romania, Poland, the Baltic states, I don't, I don't want them as a NATO country close to my border and threatening me. Well, that's not going to happen. Those NATO countries will be reinforced. They're being reinforced right now with more American troops, more NATO troops. And, and I think that Mr. Uh, Mr. Putin's not going to be satisfied. And I think this will be uh, part of the reason this ends. Moldova, for example, uh, as he tries to militarize that as well. So who knows? The question, the, the way this ends, the consequences that we know are coming, I don't think anybody can predict. But there are some certainties that, that we can see, that we are aware of, we know, and we control. And Putin doesn't. The uh, president today warned uh, Russia again that if it, if it engages in cyber warfare against the United States, the U.S. will respond. How worried should U.S. industries, the infrastructure, national security apparatus be about a major Russian cyber attack on the United States? Well, I think we, we need to be worried about it. We need to be prepared for it. The president said today uh, we've been working with business uh, not just this year, last few months, but over the years, last few years, to harden their capabilities on cyber attacks. And, and we have, uh, we're not perfect. We, we have chinks in the armor. Uh, there are pieces that, that we, we don't have that we wish we did have. Um, I fully expect, Wolf, that this, this will go cyber. I fully expect that the Russians will use their cyber capability, as we've seen them in the past. Uh, they're, they're excellent. Uh, cyber warriors. Uh, We're very good. I think we're the best. And I think Americans need to be aware that we're not going to be untouched by this, Uh, whether it's cyber attacks, whether it's gasoline costs right in the wake of inflation uh, from COVID and supply chain 
problems, uh, no, we're, we're going to be affected as well. Yeah, I've been told uh, by U.S. officials that they're bracing for a major Russian cyber attack. And the president said today, if Russia pursues cyber attacks against our companies, our critical infrastructure, we are prepared to respond. And he says the U.S. has sharpened, and I'm quoting him now, our ability to respond to Russian cyber attacks. Uh, that could be a major, major development. Uh, uh, Secretary Chuck Hagel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Wolf. All right, we're following the breaking news. Uh, Matthew Chance is joining us once again. He's in Ukraine. Matthew, I understand you're hearing explosions once again. What's the latest? Yeah, well, we've, we've heard one big explosion here uh, shatter the calm, uh, such as it's been over the past several hours in Kiev. I'm not, not quite sure where it's come from. It, it seemed to have come from, the, from this direction over here, which is to the, to the south of where I'm standing right now. I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of target there is over there. But clearly it comes 24 hours almost to the minute you know, after those um, you know, barrages of cruise missiles uh, targeted air defense systems, uh, military sites around uh, the uh, Ukrainian capital. Um, it's the, it's, it's a, at the moment, it's an isolated um, explosion that we've heard. We've heard the sort of a, a, a smaller caliber weaponry, we think, fired as well, but we're not, we're not sure uh, whether uh, that's from a different location or whether it, it may have just been a, a sort of nervous reaction to that, to that explosion. It's not clear whether you know, some sort of, this is some sort of start to some kind of uh, you know, battle for Kiev. Although I have to say that we do know for a fact that there are Russian forces, special forces that have been airlifted into strategic positions around this, uh, around this city. Um, and, you know, the concern is and the belief is amongst Ukrainian officials is that within the you know, in a, within a short period of time, the Russian plan is to encircle Kiev, uh, to 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 capture the city and to target the leadership uh, of it. Uh, president Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, uh, issuing a, a sort of national statement on his social media platforms earlier today, saying that this, according to our information, the enemy has marked me as target number one. And they've marked my family as target number two. They want to destroy Ukraine politically by destroying the head of state. He also said there's information that they've got of enemy sabotage groups that have already entered uh, Kiev. And so you know, a, a lot of concern, even amongst the Ukrainian leadership right now, from, from including the, the top person, you know, the, the president of the country, that they will now be targeted by Russian forces in the capital, Kiev. Wolf. Yeah, and uh, U.S. officials for days now, as you know, Matthew, they've been saying that the, that the Russians, uh, that Putin has a hit list or a kill list, not just of Zelensky and his family, but of many other yeah. Ukrainian officials that they want to go after and either kill or send to camps uh, and put them away. Uh, we're going to watch that, obviously, very closely. Be careful over there, Matthew. We'll stay in very close touch with you. Our breaking news coverage of the war in Ukraine continues. Retired Lieutenant uh, Colonel Alexander Vindman, there you see him. He's standing by live. Uh, we will discuss, uh, and I'll ask him what he sees as Putin's endgame. We'll be right back. Our team in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv now reports hearing two large blasts in the central part of the city and a third loud explosion in a distance. Uh, just a little while ago, Matthew Chance is on the scene for us. He's keeping us posted. 
Uh, remember, it was right about this time last night that the invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine began. We're going to go back to Kiev right away as new information comes in. Stand by for that. Also just in, a new audio recording has emerged purporting to show an exchange between Ukrainian soldiers on an island in the Black Sea and an officer of the Russian Navy. I want to show you a transcript of what was said. An officer on the Russian warship apparently approached the island and told soldiers, and I'm quoting now, this is a Russian military warship. I suggest you lay down your weapons and surrender to avoid bloodshed and needless casualties. Otherwise, you will be bombed. To which a a Ukrainian soldier responded, Russian warship, Go F yourself. It appears that uh, may have been the Ukrainian soldiers' last words. We are told all of the Ukrainian soldiers there, all of them were killed. I want to bring in the uh, former European Affairs Director for the National Security Council, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Uh, Colonel, thank you so much for joining us. What's your take, first of all, on the state of the battle and how much longer Ukrainian forces potentially can hold off this massive Russian assault. You know, uh, Wolf, I, uh, I wrote a, a lengthy piece on this and I kind of laid out much of the scenario. I saw this coming for, for definitely for quite a few weeks. Uh, and one thing that I, I certainly got wrong was how um, maybe overrated would be a good way to put it. The Russian forces were and underrated the Ukrainian forces are performing. So uh, the, the Russians uh, were supposed to land some very heavy blows, massive aerial bombardment, cruise missile strikes, really disrupt and destroy a lot of the uh, command and control political leadership. They have not been particularly effective there. A lot of the Ukrainian Air Force is intact. And the Ukrainians are putting up a massive resistance. And this is getting, going to be a slog. I don't think this is going to be as easy as the Russian uh, Russians think that uh, it is. And frankly, I don't know if this is going to turn out the way Vladimir Putin thought it would. Certainly not without the costs. Uh, the costs now seem pr- pretty heavy. Even amongst his do- d- um, domestic population, there are protests on the street. And then the stories of heroism emerging from that Snake Island uh, transcript that you just offered, or uh, the, the ghost pilot that's flying uh, over Ukraine, Ukrainian Air Force pilot, uh, may have destroyed four to six Russian aircraft. Uh, it's pretty amazing how, how hard the Ukrainians are fighting to defend their homeland. Having said that, Colonel, how likely is it that Russia eventually, whether within a few days or a few weeks or whatever, will take the capital of Kiev? What will that mean for this conflict? So it's interesting. Once the first shots are fired, the, the geometry train changes, and it's really very difficult to, to see how things unfold. Do the protests in Russia, the unexpected protests in Russia, materialize into something far more challenging? Do the Ukrainians put up such a significant resistance that it changes the, the calculus and Putin uh, recognizes he may not be able to achieve his maximalist objectives or risk some sort of issues at home. I think those things are, are difficult. But yes, the numbers are on Russia's side. Russia has been preparing this for this for years. Frankly, this conflict was inevitable. Whether it was now or later, it was inevitable because for more than two decades, Putin has preyed on his counterparts. He's preyed on his Western counterparts. As a case officer, he's identified hopes, and he's identified fears. For the hopes, he promised greater cooperation, a greater uh, a Russian integration. And for the fears, he does what he always does. He does the saber rattling 
to indicate that there is a potential uh, risk of nuclear war. And frankly, that's what's keeping us, uh, the U.S. position, so uh, mild at the moment. Yes, we're levying sanctions, but in reality, this is a democracy fighting, struggling for, for its survival, struggling for security in Europe. So it's way bigger than that. It's going to have a geopolitical impact. It's going to have an uh, impact on the U.S. population. It has a high possibility of spillover. And I really think we should be doing everything we can to support the Ukrainians. But I think there is a deep fear of the Russians somehow, uh, you know, spinning out of control, escalating, which is a, mis a false premise. I wrote an article in, in The Atlantic today. The Russians have no more interest in a confrontation with the U.S. or NATO than we do. They are deathly afraid of a war with the U.S. They know they would lose. They would, don't want to go in that direction. There's evidence to substantiate this. When the Russians attacked us in Syria, we killed 300 of them without a response. But we are still succumbing to those fears because that case officer has effectively under, understands where he could prey on us, where we're vulnerable, and we self-deter. Ukraine's president, as you know, uh, Colonel, uh, President Zelensky says there are already Russian sabotage groups that have entered Kiev looking to target him and his family. Do you think he is in immediate danger? Absolutely. I think he's in immediate danger. I think there's a target list uh, of, of, of various priorities. Uh, the folks in government, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, heads of security services, they're in danger. Their families are in danger. But also civil society, the folks that made this country what it is today, the folks that mobilized the street in 2014 and resulting, uh, resulted in the, the revolution of dignity, the folks that are dragging Ukraine or pushing Ukraine towards the West, those are all on the target list. We don't really understand how the, the Russian mindset is here. They're going to be barbaric. Right now, it seems like they're actually being restrained because they think they could have achieved their objectives without significant uh, casualties or collateral damage. As soon as it turns rough, rough for them, they're going to do what the things they, they did in Syria. Bomb, bomb churches, mosques in the case of Syria, they'll bomb churches, they'll bomb schools, they'll bomb hospitals. This will be a brutal campaign. Very quickly, before I let you go, uh, Colonel, uh, as you know, Putin has used explosive words in describing what's going on in Ukraine. He says uh, his effort is simply to protect people uh, in Ukraine from genocide. He says that he's working to denazify the country. He's talking about Nazis in Ukraine right now. Uh, President Zelensky, as you know, he's Jewish. What do you make of, of what Putin is saying? It's patently absurd. Uh, it's meant to influence his domestic population. There is really no merit. Of course, a rush, the Ukrainians have been struggling for independence under the Soviet Union, uh, under the Russian Empire, and most recently. And there are radical mov uh, movements that uh, tried to exploit that. But you pointed out that Vladimir Zelensky is Jewish. When he came to power, the prime minister was Jewish. They were the only one other country in the world, Israel, that had a Jewish president, prime minister. The Jewish uh, communities embraced it's central to the, the country, and there is nothing to this uh, Nazi narrative, fascist narrative. It's fabricated as a pretext. Yeah, even the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum here in Washington today condemned Putin for uttering those kinds of words. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. The breaking news coverage of Russia's invasion of Ukraine will continue right after this break.
The White House is now saying the United States will accept Ukrainian refugees fleeing the country, but tonight refugees are flooding into neighboring Poland. CNN International correspondent Scott McLean is on the scene for us. Scott, what are you seeing there near the border, and are they relocating with expectations of actually staying in Poland? Hey, Wolf, it is cold. It is miserable. It is 3.30 in the morning, and the people who are crossing this border could not be happier to be on this side of it, fleeing what's going on in Ukraine. Let me just show you around here really quickly. You can see people are are gathered here after having crossed the border. There's a little cafe there. People are huddled inside. Uh, You see a lot of men here. Some of them are driving taxis. Some of them are are trying to get rides. Uh, Most of the men here are very likely foreign, at least the ones that we've met. People are boarding these buses. They're going to reception centers. If people don't have another place to go, the authorities have been handing out these papers, which essentially says if you're Ukrainian and if you're crossing the border, you're allowed to come here and then giving them a little bit more information. Uh, A lot of people who've been crossing the border, Wolf, they don't know where they're going to go. They're just happy to be on this side. Most of the people who we've met do not expect to start a new life in Poland. They think that they're going to be here temporarily, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe longer, but all of them expect to be going back. One other thing, down this pathway, the family's coming out, that's toward the border. The reason that you don't see more people, I mean, there is a steady stream of them, but the reason you don't see even more is because they are all stuck on the other side. There are two checkpoints on the other side of the border. There is the Ukrainian one where you get your exit stamp, and then the Polish one where you're entered into the European Union and the eastern flank of NATO. The holdup is at the Ukrainian side. We know that the Ukrainians are no longer allowing men to leave the country between the ages of 18 and 60. Uh, As I said, most of the men that we've met so far have been foreign or held foreign passports. They are letting the women and children through much quicker. And so we've seen mostly that. And I am amazed, Wolf, I have to tell you, I am absolutely amazed by the resilience of these people. Women with children, most of them very young, really difficult conditions. They've been waiting in line for several hours, many of them, and I have not heard one single child cry or complain. They're just happy to be here, and they're all just getting through a very, very difficult situation. Yeah, good point. Uh, Scott McLean on the border between Poland and Ukraine. Uh, Thank you very much. A former NATO commander fears scenes like uh, the one you just saw are only going to grow and grow with Ukrainians facing a humanitarian disaster. That retired four-star general standing by to join us right after the break. Uh, General John Allen will discuss when we come back. Nothing seems to be working to deter Russia from its onslaught in Ukraine. For more on that, I want to bring in retired uh, four-star General John Allen. He's also the author of the book Future War and the Defense of Europe. There's the book cover. Uh, General, considering Russia's full-scale assault, how far do you think Putin is willing to go? Well, only he knows. Uh, But I'm sure, Wolf, that the campaign plan that they're executing uh, is a phased campaign plan. They're, they appear to be striking into Ukraine on several different axes. Uh, one out of uh, uh, Belarus, uh, one towards Kharkiv, uh, one out of the Donbas, and one out of uh, Crimea. So there are multiple axes that are that are moving into the heartland of uh, Ukraine. Uh, and if he's to be believed, if Putin is to be believed, his intention is to demilitarize the country and denazify it, which is a ridiculous term. 
but he doesn't believe that Ukraine is a real country. Uh, and with this kind of combat power and, and this application of combat power, there's a very good chance that his intention is to uh, el eliminate it as a country that can stand against him or be a Western outpost. As you know, other bordering countries, such as Latvia and Estonia, for example, they are NATO allies. Do you think Putin's bold enough, crazy enough for that matter, uh, to try to cross into one of those borders? Sure, I'm always very reluctant, Wolf, to uh, ascribe uh, lunacy to any world leader. He's operating off his own set of values. He's operating off his own timeline. Um, but he's been, he's been warned by the President of the United States. He's been warned by the Secretary General of NATO <clears throat> that NATO is a absolutely solid alliance right now. It is committed to the defense of every square inch of NATO. Uh, and Putin would uh, cross over a NATO boundary, a NATO frontier at great risk, uh, because I don't think there's any ambiguity there that Article 5 of the NATO Charter of the Washington Treaty indicates an attack on one is an attack on all, and bringing the, the combat power of uh, 30 nations led by the United States uh, to defend the NATO territory is a pretty uh, daunting and, and awesome uh, threat to, uh, to Putin. I, I think he would at great risk cross over a boundary into a NATO country. Yeah, it would be enormous risk. Uh, as you know, he's already launching cyber attacks in Ukraine. Uh, would NATO see cyber attacks on one of its members as an act of war? Because there's some concern if he launches some major cyber attacks in Western Ukraine, it could spill over and affect Poland, a NATO ally. Wolf, in the 21st century, uh, multi-domain warfare, cross-domain warfare has, has been a feature for some period of time. And when I say multi-domain, I'm not talking uh, tanks, only tanks, artillery, airplanes, ships at sea. I'm talking about operations in the information space, information in the cyberspace. And Putin's been operating largely with impunity in the cyberspace and information space for some period of time, softening up Ukraine, hopefully softening up the democracies of the West. Now, the, to your question specifically, is a cyber attack an attack that could trigger an Article 5? I think we'd have to see what the size of that cyber attack would be. Uh, that remains to be determined. But if it's a major attack upon critical infrastructure that causes uh, dramatic harm inside the NATO countries and loss of life, et cetera, I believe we're going to have a conversation in the North Atlantic Council uh, about whether that cyber attack actually could trigger Article 5. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, General Allen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll take a quick break. To be with much you. more of our special coverage right after this. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern, in the Situation Room. And then once again here on CNN Tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Our breaking news coverage continues right now with Don Lemon Tonight. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.